Thank you, Woody. Uh, it's good to be here with you this morning to open God's Word, uh, to hear what he has to say to us uh, this morning. T.C. and I are here uh, in the States until December, uh, end of December, probably the first week of January, doing our home mission assignment. They used to call it furlough, but that sounded like a vacation, so they call it home mission assignment, to be politically correct. Sounds like it's supposed to be working. Um, but we're, we're here, and we're there. Our house is here. We have a house here. We just moved back into it after the flood about six weeks ago. We got back in, and but we're there. Uh, I have the Plains Church family here. I have you here, but I have a church family back in Perth that we miss deeply and miss greatly and, and want to be with them every, every day and every morning. Um, we have sons here. Rich and Wilson are here. Melinda, soon to be part of our family, is already part of our family, but soon to be more of a part of the family, is here. Um, Duncan is our youngest, is 20. He's there. He's in Australia. He's in school, uh, going to college uh, there. So where, where is home? Where is home? We get confused sometimes. We really don't know. We've slept in 20-something different beds since we left Perth uh, at the first of the year. I think we figured out. Sometimes we wonder where we are. Uh, but we live in a country that people probably wake up and ask, I wonder where I am and where is home. Australia is a land of migrants. It's a land of immigrants. Perth, in the city of Perth, 41% of the people weren't born there. They weren't there. Our church is two-thirds Asian. Everybody's from somewhere else in that. Our next-door neighbors, uh, Daphne and David, arrived from India some 20 years ago with two suitcases and some money, and that's all they had. Uh, they were migrants from everywhere. And that's what Australia is. It's a land of of migrants. As we look around the world today, uh, I think we see the world is, there's just exiles and and migrants everywhere, refugee camps, people displaced, people moving, people on the move. It's a global world and people are going everywhere and and probably wondering uh, where they are. They're, They're sojourners in the world. They're here and there. And scripture calls us that, doesn't it? Scripture tells us that, that we're sojourners in this world. We're, we're migrants in this world. This, this world is our home, but it, it's not our home. And that can be confusing at times for us. Uh, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We live, as the big word theologians like to use, that we live in the already and the not yet. We live in the already and the not yet as, as Christians God's kingdom has come. Christ came when he came into the manger in Bethlehem. The kingdom of God broke into this world. And he came. And and yet, yet it's it's not quite complete yet. It's not quite fulfilled. He'll come again one day. And then the kingdom will come to fruition. And all will be fulfilled in all that. And we live in that in-between time. In that tension. The tension of this world. And you feel it. And I feel it. Things are just kind of not the way they're supposed to be at times, aren't they? It's tough. It's hard. The tension uh, of that, of living in, in between, I'm waiting for glorification of, of loved ones here and loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, of being given a world to enjoy, but maybe not too much. Uh, of being delivered from sin, yet still struggling with it every single day. The tension and the struggle of that. Of eternity in our hearts, but not in our vision yet. We know there's something more. We know there's more, but it's, it's not quite here yet. 
It's not quite here yet for us. Of experiencing a lot now, but hoping for more. Of being frustrated in this world. Of having perfect plans go awry. The effect of sin as it creeps in and just kind of messes things up in our lives and in the, in the plans we make and in things day to day. Of feeling that. Of being frustrated with people in this world, yet told to love them. Of being frustrated with our Christian life. Maybe this hits home. I am. Of being frustrated in our Christian life because sometimes it just doesn't seem to work right. Sometimes it just doesn't seem to work right. We, we pray and there are answers and then other times we pray and it feels like they're just bouncing off the ceiling. Nothing's happening. It's frustrating, isn't it? In the Christian life uh, as that. Sometimes we wonder if God is there or if he even cares about us. Sometimes we just feel God is close and he's close to us and we feel him in our heart. And then there are other times in our Christian life where we're like, are you there, God? you care about me? Are you even there? I feel like David in most of his psalms. We try to do everything right in our marriages or within our families. And yet, you know what happens sometimes? Things come apart, don't they? They come apart. The reality of this world. We wonder if it's really worth it as Christians, particularly teenagers and young people and perhaps in college. Now, is it worth it to be a Christian? Because I'm trying to do everything right, but all these other people are having a lot of fun and they're getting ahead in life. And that other guy that come to, he got the big sale and I didn't get it because I was trying to be honest and I was trying to be right. We, we struggle with that, don't we, in our life um, of that. We see so much around us, but again, there's more. So this morning, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. We could look at a number of people in the Bible who may have had those feelings. David certainly did, as you read through the Psalms. Job asked a lot of questions of God, wondering what was going on in his life. The book of Ecclesiastes addresses all this. But this morning, we're going to look at, uh, at, the, at the life of Abraham. To the Jews, he was what? He's the greatest patriarch. He's their founder. He's our founder, too. But he's, he's the greatest patriarch. He's who they all trace their heritage back to uh, of that. He's the one that God came to and made his covenant promises to have a nation. Uh, He's pretty important in the New Testament. He's mentioned 74 times in the New Testament of that. So we're going to look this morning at Abraham, who was called by God to separate himself from the world, to make a journey of faith uh, in the Lord, trusting only in the guidance of God. Trusting only in the guidance of God. I hope the Lord will speak to us. This morning as we look at the life of Abraham. Let's hear the word of God as it comes to us. Um, from Genesis chapters 11 and 12. You have it printed in your bulletin. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 31. Uh, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson. And Sarah his daughter-in-law. His son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Go from your journey and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out 
to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morath. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country onto the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Then from Hebrews 11, just read verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, as we open up this passage, as we look at the story of your servant, Abraham, speak to us, for we too journey in a world, uh, Lord, and must journey by faith. So speak to us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. We'll look at Abraham's walk of faith first, and then our walk of faith uh, this morning. Um, At this point in history, if you look at the book of Genesis, the earth is in a pretty bad way. There was the creation, then in chapter 3, the fall. And the fall took a pretty serious effect very quickly uh, in the world. Uh, From onward, from Genesis chapter 3 on, the the world seems to be descending into chaos. Uh, Five times the Lord pronounced curses, just up to chapter 11, on the earth. The flood had come, and after that, hopefully there was hope, wasn't there? The covenant was renewed with with Noah, and now it's going to be great. But no, they fell right back into it. Beginning of chapter uh, 11, you have the Tower of Babel and all that. Uh, But everything's going into chaos. And what is the Lord going to do? What's God to do? Everything in his creation is falling apart. Well, here at the end of chapter 11 through genealogy and then in chapter 12, God does what? God speaks once again into history. God speaks once again and he begins, really, to renew the world. He begins his work of redemption in the world and he begins it in the life of a man called Abram or Abraham as I'll call him through most of this sermon well who was Abraham well we're told here all this great he was the son of Terah that doesn't tell us a whole lot uh, about him Uh, but as far as we know from the book of Joshua and other records uh, Abraham was a pagan he came from a pagan family he came from a pagan cult background his father may have been a priest in a cult There was nothing, in a sense, if you think about it, there was nothing in his background that would make God choose him. He was a pagan. There was no Hebrew nation. There was no knowledge of God. There was no of the real God. There was nothing in his background that would make God want to choose him. He didn't have the advantage of a Bible or anything like that to know about Yahweh of that. So he's just a man who lives in Ur with his father, Terah. Uh, But then God comes and he speaks into history. And God makes his what? His sovereign choice of Abraham. He simply chooses him because he wants to. He picks him out because he will be his man. And he will pick him and he will leave him. He was not looking for God. He had no background of God. And yet the Lord calls him out of obscurity to greatness. He calls him out of obscurity to greatness. But there was nothing, there was nothing in his background that would lead him to God. Uh, Two years ago I had the privilege uh, in Australia at Canningvale church to baptize uh, Cool Ping and Bichu Tan and their two sons, Joshua and Jaden. Uh, they came from a Dallas background and uh, they grew up in Malaysia 
Chinese ancestry, a Taoist background. Uh, but as they came to and migrated to Australia, they got in with some Christian friends who began to just bring them to church and talk to them. And along the way, they became believers. Uh, and it was a great privilege to, to baptize them. But there was nothing, there in great illustration, there was nothing in their background that would have brought them to Christ. There was no knowledge of Jesus. There was no church. There was nothing to bring them to Christ. Yet God moved and God worked in their life. He drew them to himself and he set them apart for himself. Then Abraham was also set apart. God told him what? Now go forth from your country and your relatives and from your father's house. He was to separate from everything he knew. He was to separate from everything that he knew. Uh, Everything that gave him meaning and value in life. Everything that made him know who he was. Think about it. And some of you have done this because you've moved to another culture. Maybe you came from the north to the south to another culture. But everything that gave him value in life, everything he had to move away from. And I know the feeling. When we moved to Perth, we stepped onto a plane and everything in my life, you know, 55 years of SEC football and hunting and fishing and everything else was gone, just disappeared. We got off the plane, it's all gone. And I sat there one day, I wondered why I felt so lonely, and I realized everything, everything just vanished. Now I have to do new things. But Abraham did the same thing. He left everything that gave him value of that. And he left Ur, and Ur was a good place to live. Ur was a very good place to live. In 1834, archaeologists excavated uh, this town, and they found that it, it held at least 25,000 people that would have made it a very significant town, probably one of the biggest in the area. They found evidences that it was, it was prosperous. Uh, it, was, it had technology. It had science. Uh, it was not just one step away from the Stone Age that he was walking away from. It was a very good place to live. And yet God called him to step out and to be separate and to be different uh, from that. One writer writes, wrote, he turned his back on a great metropolis, setting out by faith for a land about which he knew little or nothing and which he could probably, could probably offer him little from a standpoint of material benefits. From a great metropolis, from everything he knew, to what? To living as a nomad into tents. What was the Lord doing here? What was God doing here? Why would he do this? Well, God is calling him out. God is creating a people unto himself. God is creating, going to create a nation from this. They're going to be a people unto him and into nothing else. So he's making a clean break. A new nation which would have nothing to do with anything but the Lord God, Jehovah. Abraham left and his obedience is based what? It's based on what? A promise. God comes and speaks to him. God tells him. Uh, A promise that he believed. A promise that he believed. You know, one thing that makes Abraham so great is that he believes the the words of a God that he knows nothing about. That he knows nothing about. We'll see the difference in our faith later. We have kind of an advantage this side of the cross. But here's a God he doesn't know anything about that's come to him. And yet he trusts him, he believes him, and he follows him. That's what makes Abraham's faith so great. He knew nothing about this God. Yet he trusts him, and he believes him, and he steps out. It's based on what? On the promises of God. There are five I wills in here. I will make unto you a great nation. I will bless you. Uh, I will curse those who curse you. I will do all those things. The blessings that God promised him, he believed that he would have a land that would be a great nation and a blessing of God in his life. So God covenants with him. 
to bring all these things together. Again, another writer says, He was the first real pilgrim called out to leave what he knew and go into a place he did not know and live by faith in a God he barely knew anything about. Again, that's what makes his faith so great. He didn't know anything about this God, yet he's following him in that. We read earlier, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, most of us, when we leave, we at least know where we're going. In our car, we're going on vacation, we're going on a plane, we know where we're going to land. He didn't know anything. But he obeyed, and he just followed God uh, in that. You know, real faith in our lives is... Real faith sometimes is when you can't see around the corner. It's my phrase. Real faith is when you can't see around the corner, when you're there and you have no idea what's going to happen. When you're either in a tough situation or you're in a situation in your life where, where it's, it's foggy out there and you can't see it and you don't know what's going on and the circumstances are all around you and they're closing in and things are happening and you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. That's when you have to have, we have to have real faith. That's when we have to have real faith. When we don't know what's going on, when you can't see around the corner of that. Think about it. That's real faith. That's when you exhibit real faith. Is when you don't know what's going on of that. So what about our walk of faith? What about our walk of faith? What about God's calling upon you and me? You know, the blessing of the nations that was promised to Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah who would come from Abraham's descendants. That was Jesus. Uh, And now the blessing of that work is for us, our forgiveness of sins into a person's life. And why did God do that? Why did God save you? Why did God call you? Why did he choose you to be his? Well, for the same reason with Abraham, he chooses to save you simply because he wanted to. He chose to save you and me Simply because he wanted to. There was no other reason. There was no other reason for God to ever want you or desire you and save you. You had nothing to offer but your sin. Neither did I. Ephesians tells us what? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You could do nothing, so God had to act. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, saved you. But God, being rich in mercy, saved you. He called you because he just wanted to. He called you to save you. That gives us confidence, doesn't it? That should give you confidence this morning. If you didn't do anything to save yourself, then you can't do anything to lose your your salvation. You can't lose it. It's all of God. Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in you will what? Will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's your confidence. When you're in the middle of the struggles of this world, when you're in the middle of doubting your faith, when you're in the middle of doubting God and His goodness towards you, your confidence is that He will never leave you. He can't. You're His. You're His. You're not going to lose your faith. You can't because you don't have anything to do with it in the first place. It also gives us confidence for what? As we pray for others. As we pray for our friends who, as we look around, they could care less about Jesus. For sons and daughters, for children who've gone astray, who are maybe not embracing their covenant promises yet. It gives us confidence to pray for them. Because you never know when God's going to work in their life. When I first got into youth ministry, I heard a speaker say one time, you never give up on a kid. 
You never give up on a kid because what? Because you don't know when God's going to work in their life. So don't give up on them. The same way with us, the same way with our families, the same as we pray. It gives us confidence that God's going to work and he's going to speak into their lives. Like Abraham, we're what? Also, we're set apart. You're set apart to be different from the world in that. Some great verses that, uh, and from 1 Peter that he writes. Excuse me, my eyes have been watering for about eight months. 1 Peter, it says this. Think back to the Exodus. These are tremendous verses for you and for me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like Abraham, we're what? We're set apart. We're different. As one preacher said last week, service I was in, we're strange. We're different from the world. We're set apart of that. We're holy, which is what that word means, that we're set apart. You know, what is holy? Illustrate. You know, you've probably heard the word kosher. You know, kosher dill pickles at the grocery store or whatever. That means they're different, they're, they're blessed. But the Hebrew word was kadosh. If you remember, they had all these weird rules. You couldn't eat this, couldn't eat shellfish, couldn't eat pigs, couldn't eat that. Had to circumcise your, your sons. You had to do these things. You had to wear certain things. You had to do all this. It was, it was all a little different on that. Well, why was that? Why was that? Was it just for health reasons? Well, some people have taught that, but I don't think it was. Because if you look at the nations around Israel, they were doing pretty good. And they ate pigs, and they didn't circumcise their sons, and they ate all the stuff. And they were prosperous and and populating. Everything was doing pretty good. The reason is, God simply said, you're not going to do this because you belong to me. And you're different. And you act different. You're not going to eat pig, not because it wouldn't taste good. You're not going to eat it because you're mine. You're different. And as Christians, we, we have to sometimes, we have to acknowledge, don't we? We don't do some things simply because we belong to God. We're His. We don't act a certain way at times because we belong to God. We're His. We're His. We're called to be like Him. And as Christians, we're just different. Uh, a friend of mine used to say when his, his older brother, John Riley, his older brother uh, I mean, his younger brother and him, would, when they were teenagers, they would be getting ready to go out on Friday nights and get into all the mischief you could get into in a very small Alabama town. And his mother would, would always say, just as they were heading out the door, now, boys, you remember who you are. And it would just deflate the whole evening. It would just ruin it for them. But she was saying, you're a Christian. You go to First Baptist Church. You belong to the Lord. You're different. And we are uh, as that in our life. We're different. We're separated. Well, our obedience is based what? Just like Abraham, it's, it's based on a promise. The promises of what? The promises of, that we find in God's word. It's what we hold up to. The promises he has given us in, in his word um, that he has given to us. He was promised a place and a land and everything. We're promised what? We're promised heaven. We're promised glorification. We're promised a new heavens and a new earth. Don't know what it's going to look like. Have no idea. Scripture isn't clear on that. But we know it exists. We know it's there. And we look forward to it one day. We have a place waiting for us. But until then, we have to live what? 
We have to live on the promises of God. We have to take his word and say, I believe this. I believe this and I'll stand on these. Because sometimes there's nothing left to stand on. So I ask you this morning, Christian, do you really believe the word of God? Do you really believe these promises? Because sometimes it seems like they're not true. I know in my life, I've doubted. I've thrown my Bible against the wall and said, I wonder if this is even true. But God always always comes back. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Are we, like Abraham, willing to believe in the promises of God even when things get tough? Because they are tough. They are tough in this world. Besides God's word, this side of the cross, we have what? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to, to guide us. He came at Pentecost. Do you know what it means to be led by the Spirit? Do you seek to be led by the Spirit? We have that. We have God's Spirit living within us to guide us and to take us to the Word and to make it real in our lives. Abraham did another thing. He also worshipped. Two times in these passages, he did what? He built altars and he worshipped the Lord. We worship. You worship every day. You know that, don't you? To worship means simply, really, to depend on someone. What do you depend on? What do you worship? What do you get your value from? Well, you worship every day. Going to work, driving the car. What are you depending on there? And then we come together every Sunday for a worship service. So Abraham worshiped. He expressed his dependence upon the Lord. You worship. You really express to the Lord his dependence on you and pray to him. Well, how do we grow in our faith? And then we're done. How do we grow in our faith? Abraham had a few face-to-face encounters with God. That'll, that'll grow your faith. If God's talking to you, we don't really have that this day. We do have the spirit. That'd be impressive. Uh, our faith grows, I think, in two ways. You can come up with a dozen more. One is through our obedience to him. Abraham obeyed God. He didn't know about it. As we obey God, we begin to see something. Hey, it's good to obey God. It's Christianity works. The Bible is true. In John 14, 21, Jesus says these words, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Those are puzzling verses. Those are interesting verses. If we obey God, we love him, and when we do, we obey. he says, I will manifest myself to him. We'll get to know him more. As we obey him. Also I think we grow in our faith by getting to know God. We grow in our faith by just getting to know God. Abraham had a lifetime journey of getting to know God in his life. Someone wrote, the faith to which we are called is not a faith in a plan. But faith in a person. Not where, but who or whom. Read that again. The faith we are called to is not faith in a plan, but faith in a person. Not where, but who or whom. Let me illustrate this with an ice story. I've been told, because I'm a southerner and I've seen maps, and now there's Google Earth, that somewhere up north, above the Mason-Dixon line, they have other states. Uh, somewhere up there, because we were educated in the south, and I don't think our maps really went that far in Alabama. But somewhere up there, there are these northern states, like Wisconsin and South Dakota, North Dakota, and, and places like that. And it gets, it gets really, really cold up there. Um, so let's say that I go up north. I go to Wisconsin, up close to Canada. I'm visiting with my friend. He says, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. And I say, great. I love to fish. Okay, it's the middle of the winter. Where are we going to go? We go out on this lake. So we drive up. We get out the lake. 
to the lake and, and out there there's this maybe little building. He says, we're going to walk out to that building and there's a whole night so we're going to fish. And I say, it sounds great. And he just trugs on across the ice. And I stand there on the edge looking at the ice going, don't walk on ice in the south. You just, it's, it's, especially, you know, it, it's bad news. You can fall through. Bad things happen when you walk on ice in the deep south. And uh, he says, come on, come on. Do it. So I gingerly begin to walk out towards the thing. Now, what's holding me up? What's holding him up? Is it my faith is holding me up? His faith is holding him up? No. What's holding him up is the ice. The ice is holding him up. And why can he just tread out there and I'm hesitant? Because he knows the ice. He knows the ice. He knows it will hold him up. When we get to know the Lord, when we see Jesus do things as our lives grow, we know that we know him. We know that he will hold us up. We know that we can put our trust in him. We know the Lord. We know the ice on that. This is a challenge to our faith to step out like Abraham. To be obedient, to follow him, to believe a promise, to believe when the world says, I'm sure his friends thought he was nuts to follow the Lord, but to follow him like Abraham did. He trusted in God. He was obedient. He went and he worshiped the Lord. There's a challenge to this church right now. I want to praise you for this last year. What a testimony you are. Being faithful to the Lord and and all the trials that you've gone through. But God is faithful and you've been faithful. You've hung in there. Continue. Hang in there. God is faithful. He's building this church. This is still a great church. I've called four of my friends and said, you need to come here. You need to be pastor here. So God's calling you. To continue in the faith, to continue in the Lord, and believe that He will hold you up. Let's pray.